Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. And before we begin this morning, I just want to give a little bit of a personal update. Uh, many of you know I was away for a chunk of time in December. And uh, my older brother, David, uh, passed away December 8th. And I was able to be with him. Um, David is older than me and uh, had uh, two sisters. We had two sisters who also passed away. My brother was uh, 77. And uh, I had the great privilege of being with him during the last eight days of his life. First in hospital, then in a palliative uh, care hospice. And uh, that, was, that was a gift. Uh, David was uh, single his whole life. He didn't have any kids. We now have no family in, uh, in Hamilton. And uh, just the gift to be with him. And especially in the last days, I actually saw him uh, walk from this life into the life of to come. And the presence of Jesus was so tangible at uh, his bedside. And so I know many of you were praying, and I just really thank you and I appreciate that uh, so much. Because um, last one in our family, I'm also the uh, executor of uh, David's estate, and he was kind of a complicated guy. Uh, he was a hoarder, and so part of the time there was starting to, to kind of go through his house and that. In fact, uh, tomorrow morning, I uh, head back to uh, Hamilton for another week and, um, and hopefully finish off, off things there. So once again, thank you so much for uh, being a part of the family and for praying. And uh, in, in grief and uh, in the pain, I just really sense God's presence. So thank you so much for, for praying. The other thing I wanted to say before we begin is uh, that about a year ago, Ruth Ann and I uh, became part of the, the church family, I guess again, we, many years ago, we were part of Mission Creek, Cologne Alliance at the time. And uh, so last year, about a year ago at this time, uh, we joined the church community. We came on staff. And on behalf of Ruthann and I, we were just so thankful to be with you guys. January 7th, 2024. We're seven days into a new year. Last week, Pastor Chris had us do a reflection on 2023, and part of that was the prayer of lament. And so as we look back over everything that happened last year, there were great things. There were kind of mountaintop times, and there were also really difficult times and painful times. And we reflected on how God was in the midst of all of that. Well, this morning, we look forward and we look and anticipate 2024, and we walk into that together. And like last year, there's going to be some great things and fantastic things, things which we will just be so excited about. And there's going to be really difficult things, painful things, challenging things. God doesn't pull punches with us. He tells us that in this life, there will be troubles. There will be sorrows. Because we live in a world that's not the way it was supposed to be. Because we live in a world that not how it will be. And right now, we live in the messy middle. And in the messy middle, sometimes it's really 
tough and we go through really hard things. In the midst of hard things, God gives us a gift, the gift of lament. Now, I don't know about you, but the word lament is, is not a word that we use in everyday conversation. It's kind of uh, an odd word. Lament in the scriptures is God's invitation to have brutally honest conversations with him. No filters about the tough stuff. God loves it and invites us and gives us permission. Brutally unfiltered conversations about the pain. This year we'll have tough times. There might be an economic change in our life. Maybe relationships will go south. A relationship that we hoped that we would have doesn't happen. Or relationship with our kids or our parents or others. We might get a health diagnosis. We might watch a world that continues to come unglued politically, economically. We see injustice. We're bullied. We're misunderstood. And there's pain. In the midst of that, God gives us a gift. Oh, he's present. And he also gives us a, the gift of lament. Brutally candid conversations with him that he says, yes, come to me and have those conversations. Let's look at an example of lament together. And that's in Psalm 13. Psalm 13, so turn in your Bibles or on your devices, or if you have the Pew Bible there, it's on page 378. And we see the example and prayer of lament. It says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. How long, O oh God? Where in the are you in the midst of this situation? I, I, I don't know how that lands with you. I think for many of us, we're thinking, wow, can we talk to God that way? It, it sounds irreverent. It sounds disrespectful. Lament is a foreign thing for most of us. Just think about it in school. We've never had a class on how to lament. You know, like lament 101. Not in high school, not in university, not in doctoral studies. We don't have lamentologists in our school system that we can go to and teach us how to lament. It's foreign. It's foreign in most of our families of origin. Most of our families of origin have a hard time doing strong emotions like anger and rage and hurt and pain. 
I love my family. But in our family, we did not do strong emotions. We ignored them. We stuffed them. We created our own reality. We didn't go there. And part of my journey with Jesus was to actually begin to access some of that stuff and put language and let it out. I think the majority of us come from families of origin which did not do strong emotions. It's foreign. It's foreign in our church experience. You probably haven't heard many sermons on lament. You probably haven't received much teaching on lament. It's just something that's really not part of our culture in general and church experience in particular, especially in North America. It's not a criticism, it's just a reality. Lament is foreign to most of our experience. Lament also has kind of negative associations for us. We often don't like to be around people that are kind of negative. Um, there are, there's some people around that are sort of the life is a cup of water half empty all the time. It's just not kind of fun to be around them. You know, like in Winnie the Pooh, that character Eeyore, you know, Eeyore the donkey, we ask him, how's it going? Oh, it's okay, it's all right. I have a friend not here, another place, love him, but he's an Eeyore. And every time I ask him, how's it going? He, oh, okay. Now, that doesn't mean all of us need to be Tigger the Tiger and, and jump up and bounce up and down all the time. That's annoying as well. But we really don't like Eeyores, right? It's just hard. Lament has negative associations, too. Because at first listen, it sounds like griping and complaining and being negative and nitpicky and grousing and whining. And that word in the Old Testament, murmuring. Didn't God's people get in trouble for murmuring? And at work or school, to be like negative, to express really strong things, actually is kind of frowned upon. And in church context, sometimes, sometimes we get the idea that as followers of Jesus, everything should kind of be going in a growth mode. That, you know, we sort of should be heading up and towards the right, just like an Excel spreadsheet in a good business. And on the extreme, health, wealth, and prosperity, because we're kids of the king. Lament is not any of those things. Lament is God's invitation to be real and unfiltered with him. It's highly relational. There are many examples of lament in scripture. I'm just gonna highlight a couple of them. There is the book of Lamentations, it comes right after the book of Jeremiah. It's kind of in the dusty part of the Old Testament. It doesn't get read a lot. Lamentations, the whole book is lament. And it's the prophet Jeremiah who watches, not on TV, but in real life, the destruction of Jerusalem by a foreign army. And he watches as people are killed and ripped apart and tortured and sexually assaulted and that city burnt to the ground. 
And he sits there in pain, and he watches it, and he pours his heart out to God. Quite frankly, it's a depressing book. It's a lamentation, lamentation to God. And God inspired him to write it, and it's part of the scriptures. We see throughout the Old Testament prayers of lament as well, of people like Job and Moses and Amos. And then in the New Testament, Jesus in Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, this cup would pass. Or on the cross, Jesus quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a psalm of lament. Most clearly in the Psalms are where we see prayers of lament that God has given to us. Most scholars suggest that at least a third, 33% of the Psalms, 50, at least 50 of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. About a third praise, about a third thanksgiving, and about third Psalms of lament. Psalm 3, 5, 6, 7, 10, 13, 14, 17, 22, 25, 26, 28, 31. And the list continues. Psalms of lament. Several people have analyzed North American uh, worship music, whether hymns or choruses or songs. You know, the science is not precise, but maybe less than 1% are songs of lament. Friends, don't hear that as a criticism of worship music. It's awesome. But in our culture in general, and even in our church culture, we love to praise, we love to give thanksgiving, rightfully so. But there's silence on lament. Lament is not part of our usual worship, but it's inspired by God in his word of giving us prayers to shape and reshape and to be um, brutally honest with God. The church father Augustine says, the Psalms of lament are a gift from God to shape our prayers and reshape our perceptions and feelings so that we lament in the right things and embrace God amid the pain. Let me say that again. Old Augustine, he was good. says this, the Psalms of lament are a gift from God to shape our prayers and reshape our perceptions and feelings so that we lament in the right things and embrace God in the midst of pain. In the Psalms, God gives us vocabulary. He gives us words. He gives us grammar. He gives us syntax. He gives us permission to be brutally transparent with him to express our hearts in his presence. The difference between lament and complaining and whining is that lament is highly relational. We direct our pain towards God. We don't hide from him. And he welcomes us. Like Jacob, we're invited to wrestle with God. One Old Testament writer suggests at least three purposes in the Psalms of lament that God gives to us. Number one, 
It helps us acknowledge and put words to intense emotions and pain. Like I said, I, I grew up, I loved my family, but we really didn't even have a vocabulary to go there. The Psalms sometimes just give us words to describe what we're going through. The Talmud, a Jewish teaching on the Old Testament, has a saying, the deeper the sorrow, the less tongue it has. Sometimes we go through stuff. We just don't have words to describe it. And the Psalms become our words that God has given to us. And the praying the psalm gives us not only permission, but the vocabulary to express to God. Number two, Psalms of Lament free us to have bold expressions of pain to God. And number three, Psalms allow us to anchor ourselves in the goodness of God despite or even in the midst of extreme difficulties. It's not whining, it's not complaining. The difference is it's sincere, unfiltered conversation with God. And he welcomes us to do that. So how do we develop in lamenting? Because it's foreign to us, it's not really common, it might feel kind of uncomfortable. How do we live into lament and prayer? What does it look like? Well, let's go back to, to Psalm 13. And Psalm 13, a lament prayer, a lament psalm, is, uh, has there a pattern that happens over and over again in the expression of lament. It's not always linear or sequential, but there are usually three elements. The first is just being real and raw and asking God, God, what's going on? It's a cry of pain. Secondly, there's a, a, a petitioning of asking God to do something. And third, there's a trusting. There's an asking, there's a petitioning, there's a trusting. And we see this pattern very clearly in Psalm 13. So let's, let's walk through that together. I'll read verse 1 and 2 again. We see, see asking, asking where is God? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? He's asking questions to God. He's being real and raw. In the Psalms, that question, how long, oh God, is found over 20 times, not just here. Of God, where are you? I long, you've got to be in this. Help me to see you. One writer says that questioning is really the animal sounds of our soul. It's kind of like, oh, God, God. It comes from our throat, comes deep within us. John Mark Comer says that, that asking God and being real and raw helps us to know that prayer is not the place to pretend and to be perfect, but to be honest. Honest, genuine, bold. Like Augustine mentioned earlier, the Psalms of Lament are a gift from God to shape our prayers and reshape our perceptions and feelings so that we lament in the right things 
and embrace God amid the pain. The difference, again, between whining and complaining is to meet God. And here's just an honest expression. God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? I don't understand. I don't get it. Oh, Father, I want to run to you. And so, friends, this year, stuff's going to happen. It's good stuff, but it's going to be some painful stuff. People are going to die. We're going to go through hard things. Relationships are going to go south. Our job, our school, our context might miscarry or not be able to conceive. Or we might not have the kind of relationship that we'd always dreamed. We have shattered dreams. And in the midst, we can be real and raw, and God gives us the invitation to ask our questions, to identify our pain, and to bring that all to Him. So lament, we do that, it starts by identifying exactly what's going on. What's our struggle and pain and complaint? And how are we feeling about it? Of anger and ache and sadness. And then asking our questions, God, like, where are you? I don't understand. Where are you in the midst of this? Questioning. Verse 3 and 4 begins to ask God for some things. Verse 3 and 4 says, Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Psalmist David moves from questioning to petitioning God to ask him for some help. In verse 3 he says, he asked God to, to look at me Give me light to my eyes. Help me to know how to walk through this situation. I'm not really sure. It just seems dark. In verse 4, he says, there's these enemies that just like, these things are overwhelming. And God in his wisdom inspires a prayer in which the enemies are not identified. Oh, this was a psalm of David, so we know a little bit of who his enemies could be. Our enemies can be circumstances, can be our body, can be other people, can be pain in general. But our enemies, it just seems, God, help me to know how to walk in the midst of this. God asks, David asks for direction and asks for light in order to walk through. Following God does not mean to be fatalistic. Being fatalistic means that we just kind of throw up our hands and whatever happens and just say, well, this is going to happen anyway, you know, and God's God and I'm just going to kind of lean into it. Well, that's actually fatalism. That's not what God says to us in Scripture. That's like other world religions. The God of the Bible says, no, you come to me and talk to me about it. And in Scripture, we see people that talk about like Moses and Amos, and we see God's intervention in the situation. And God was present, and he intervened. In other situations like Job, God chose not to intervene, but was still present. And we pray, and we 
ask God for things and we perceive, we, we persevere until we see what happens. God going to intervene? Or is he going to do something deep in us? Or maybe for now, we don't see the rest of the story. God invites us to question, to ask, to interact. And sometimes he responds directly, sometimes he doesn't. Lament prays meaning that we can talk to God and ask him to do things. We can ask him to do things, especially light to know how to walk through the situation. You know, the rest of Scripture just gives us really helpful promises and guidance on that. So, for example, in James chapter 1, it says, when we go through trials and temptations of different sorts, to cry out for wisdom. So we can ask, petition God, God, give me wisdom to walk in and through this. And we continue to pray until either like Job, we don't see answers, or like Moses and Amos, we do see an intervention. We do see God fully present. What's the application? Well, during your, your, your difficulty, lament pray, pray means to bring the situation to God, to ask God for things, and to wait until we see how he responds. In the gospel, we see Jesus asking the question many times, what do you want me to do for you? And Father says the same thing to us. What do you want me to do for you? Now, his, the way of his answer might be not like we anticipate, but still, he invites us not to be fatalistic, but to be relational. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. Once again, it says, the psalmist goes on, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. We see this pattern of, of being real and raw, of, of asking God, of, uh, and then going to petition, petitions, asking God for help, to this step of trusting. Notice that little word, but. Some translations have yet, but in the midst of all of this, God, I'm coming to you, and I'm going to say I'm going to trust you. Lament moves from questioning to asking to trusting. Lament is not whining or griping. It's relational. Trust is a relational word. It's turning to God in pain, turning to God despite pain. It's questioning and asking, and then desiring to meet him in the messy middle, in the midst of the mess. That slide that we have this morning uh, is kind of an adaptation of Michelangelo's creation story. So in the Sistine Chapel in Rome, on the ceiling, there's a number of beautiful pictures. If you haven't seen them, you can kind of Google it. One is a creation story, and so it has, uh, depicts the creation of um, Adam, creation of humans. And so God is reaching out and creating um, humans, creating Adam. Well, in this sense, 
it's not so much God reaching out to us, but trusting is reaching out to God, saying, God, I need you. I'm reaching out to you. And unlike, as we see the story in the book of Genesis, like our tendency of hiding from God, it's actually turning to him and taking our stuff to him. Lament is moving towards God and trust, but I trust in your unfailing love. You ever notice something about trust? Actually, something, trust is something that we get worse at as we get older. We get worse at as we get older in trusting. Just think about it. As children, if they're in a healthy family situation or they have a healthy guardian, they're going to trust the adults in their life, mom and dad, their guardian, whoever. They're generally going to believe what mom and dad says. They're going to, to uh, listen most of the time to what their parents say. And they're going to go to bed at nighttime knowing that mom and dad are going to have breakfast for them in the morning. They don't have to hold on to that piece of bread. What we looked at last week. Mom and dad are trustworthy if it's a healthy family. But as we get older, we start to go through experiences in life, don't we? Where we get burned. And what people say and what people do, we discover is different. We begin to experience uh, bullying and uh, people who don't come through on their promises, who say they're going to do us a solid and they don't, who are corrupt and sometimes abusive, and it becomes harder and harder to trust. And of course, that transfers to a relationship with God. As time goes on, sometimes, sometimes, it becomes a little bit more difficult to trust God, especially that He's good, as we accumulate life experiences. Friends, if you struggle to trust, if you struggle to trust God, you're in good company. We're in good company. But that doesn't mean that we can still move forward relationally. Say, God, I need to cling to you. You see, trust really at its essence is clinging on to God despite. To Trust God does not mean that we don't struggle to trust him. We're strugglers in the room. Notice what David says in verse 5 and 6 again. God, I trust in you. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. He's clinging on to God in the midst of this. He clings to what he knows about God, what he knows in the light, in the midst of his darkness. He clings on to God. He says, I trust in your unfailing love. That's a Hebrew root, chesed. It means a commitment, a covenant love of God that God says things and God moves forward in relationship and he's not going to break it. And David says, God, I trust and your unfailing love, your commitment that you said you were going to make to me. And God says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. 
Oh, he, David considers all the things that God had done and all that are true. And he goes back and anchors himself in the midst of that as all the ground of literally his world and our world is being rocked. And God says, and David says, he had been good to me. He remembers God's faithfulness and goodness in the past. So trust is cling to God to remember in times of darkness what we've seen in times of light. We cling to our experiences in the past, remembering His faithful and provision. We cling to the experience of others that we've heard in their stories of, yeah, going through difficult times, but experiencing the presence and the provision of God. We consider Scripture and see example after example of God being faithful to His people. For example, in the fall, Pastor Keith led us through a series of encounters with Jesus. And we have story after story after story of Jesus, God incarnate, Emmanuel with us, walking alongside of people and being good and working in their lives. We trust in those things. We cling to those scriptures. And verse 6, David says, we sing, I sing of your songs, songs of your salvation. You know, there are two reasons we sing. First of all, this morning, we've declared worship to a worthy God, our mighty God. That's an appropriate thing to do. And we sing because that helps us to remind us to whom we relate, to whom we walk with, the God who calls us daughters and sons. C.S. Lewis says about prayer is that... um, May it be the real I who prays, and may it be the real you to whom I pray. Michelle, this morning, just nailed it when she reminded us that sometimes our ideas of God over time get skewed. And when we worship, we are reminded once again of how God truly is. And sometimes we sit in so much pain that we don't have words. And about the only thing we can do is read something like Psalm 13. And sometimes we can't even do that ourselves. And so we need the community of other people who just sit down with us and not fix us, not say stupid things like Job's friends, but to listen and to sit and maybe pray the words of Psalm 13 because we need them in the moment until we are be able to once again engage in asking our questions and asking for God's help and trusting once again. But that little word, trusting despite the mystery, despite not seeing the rest of the story, trusting that God is good and that the story is not over. You know, lament does not always mean resolution. Um, I don't know about you, but I like watching movies with happy endings. Now, I'm not a Hallmark movie guy, but hey, Apparently, they always kind of turn out nice, you know, and it's kind of these happy little stories. Much of life is not like that. 
Not all things in life make sense. God sometimes does not provide answers to our questions, especially the why question. Sometimes doesn't provide the kind of resolution that we would like, at least in this life. However, God doesn't stand distant and removed. He actually has stepped in. In December, we've celebrated the fact that God is with us, that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, took on human form, full humanity, and retained his deity. And God stepped in our pain and in our brokenness of this world. And so all of that stuff of broken relationships and pain and suffering and struggles to follow Father and hunger and thirst and limitations and correct systems, God enters in. Like the writer of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, yet without sin. And it goes on, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God has not just kind of stepped back and remote. He's stepped in. And friends, the story is not over. It's not the way it should be. It's not the way it will be. But God one day, as he's promised, will make the world and will invite us into a life that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. No more pain, no more tears, forever and ever and ever. That's true. We walk towards Easter. We walk towards the resurrection in which God says, I'm coming back going to change things. I know it's hard to believe, but that's reality. The story is not over. God has intervened. We will soon celebrate all of this. In the meantime, we live in the messy middle. God's invitation to us is to be brutally honest and unfiltered. He welcomes us. To have the Psalms to put words to our cries. To get out what is in us. To ask our questions. To give our petitions. And in the midst, to cling. To trust. To reach out. I love that simple prayer of the Father talking to Jesus. And he said, Jesus... Uh, Father, the child that was sick, Jesus, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. <laughs> Friends, that's what we live. When we trust, we cling. Help me and help me in my unbelief. And so, I'd like for us now just to walk through Psalm 13. And uh, what I'd like for us to do, if you have a Bible or your uh, device, is I'm just going to go through those, uh, each of those sections and silently I'm going to ask you if there is a, if you are in a time of lament or if you uh, have something in 2023 of lament, I'm just going to invite each one of us to quietly and silently 
a response to the Lord in our hearts. Okay, I recognize this is probably a little accelerated and you might want to do this a little bit later. But I want to create some silence for us to take another step in what it learn, looks like to lament. Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Is there something to be real and raw with, with God about? What are your questions? He welcomes them. In verse 3 and 4, we continue. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. O God, give light to my eyes. I'll just respond to what you're asking God for. What you need, pour it out to him. And then verse 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. What have you seen of him in the light to remember now in the darkness? How can you cling to God? we find that we identify with uh, the man who is uh, thinking about his child uh, in, in the Gospels of, Lord, we believe, help us in our unbelief, help us to trust you. And as we sing the, the, the words of this song now uh, of, of your identification with us, uh, thank you that uh, you are the God who um, doesn't stand remote 
but you welcome us to come into your presence. Yeah. So friends, as we prepare to, to sing this, this really powerful hymn, recognize and declare, yeah, this is a heavy subject, <laughs> but it's one that God lays out for us. Has given us over 50 psalms to say, hey, you know, sometimes this is part of the journey of I welcome you to be unfiltered and to be real and to be raw, and I've given you words to do that. I'm going to help you cling to me. And so a blessing, somebody's written this prayer, Triune God, bless us as we sit with our laments. Thank you, God, that you model for us in your life here on earth how to lament and sorrow. We're going to sing Man of Sorrows. Bless us with the grace to be ourselves in the experiences of life as they are and not how we wish they were. Bless us with the courage to sit with how we are really feeling, knowing you love us just as we are. Bless us with the deep knowing that you really are present to us, whether we feel it or not. Let's stand and sing together.